North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, listen, I'm so glad you guys are here with us today. Um, Thank you, thank you for being here. Uh, If this is your second time, you guys were here with us for the very first time last week. Thank you for coming back. Uh, Man, we love, we love, love having you. I might be a little hot now, Jason. You might pull me down just a hair. Um, Before we get started with our uh, first sermon in our Unshakable series today, uh, I think it would be appropriate for us to take a couple minutes and honor our veterans. This is Veterans Day weekend, and, um, and... Look, I know everything has been politicized and everything is hot right now and, and it's, it's impossible to have a comment on anything without getting it from one side or the other. But the reality is we have men and women who have sacrificed much so that we can live in this country, so that we can be free, so that we can experience the blessings of America. And, um, and I think it would be appropriate for us to just take a couple of minutes and uh, express our love, our thanks, and our appreciation. And so all of you who are in here who have served in the military or are currently serving in the military, uh, some are thinking about going into the military. Uh, many of you have friends and family and loved ones and sons and daughters that are actively serving in the military. And um, I personally don't know uh, what you're going through or the sacrifice, but I want you to know that we are, we are eternally, eternally grateful for you and um, your sacrifice and everything that you've done. And so let's just do this. Um, uh, let's honor in, in the way that we know how. Can, can we just take a minute and go to the Lord in prayer and asking him to protect those men and women who are currently serving in our military right now? Can we just do that? Bow your heads, close your eyes all across this place. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for our veterans. We thank you for those who are currently serving. We thank you for uh, um, just the blessing that you've placed on America. And, and we thank you for those men and women who, who are putting their lives on the line to keep us safe, Lord. Let us never dishonor, disrespect, or discourage those who are currently serving in our armed forces, Lord. I pray divine protection. I pray for wisdom in all of our leaders, Lord, our generals, our presidents, and everybody who is making decisions, Lord, that that have impact with with life, Lord. I, I pray that you would just overwhelm them with your anointing. You be God in every situation, even, even over those situations and over those people who may not confess you as Lord. God, you be God and you lead, you direct and you anoint. We love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, God is so good and it is such an honor and a blessing to live in this country and to, and to be known by God. Not, not just to know God, but it is a blessing to be known by God. Amen. It's, it's not that we just know that there's a God out there, that we believe in a divine being, or that maybe somewhere in the cosmos there is a guy with a big beard and a lightning bolt that we kind of look up to, but there is something intimate and special that we have a God that knows our name. That when we walk into a room, even if we're surrounded by people that are more important than us, that are more successful than us, that are more everything than us, we walk in that room knowing that the God of the universe knows my name. And that is so, so good. 
That's so good. I hope you guys are doing good today. I hope you feel confident in the Lord. I, I hope that all of your fears have been gone and that you are fully trusting in him. We're gonna do a series today. We're starting a series today called Unshakable. I hope you guys are doing good. Hebrews chapter 12 is where we're going to be. We're gonna get there really fast today. Hebrews chapter 12. This morning, the series is Unshakable. And what we're doing today is we're just laying a foundation for the series. The message today isn't going to be particularly entertaining. It's not going to have that, that story element. But what we want to do is we want to lay this foundation for what I believe God is going to do over the next couple of weeks. In fact, next week, we're going to talk about unshakable beginnings. And it's going to be so cool because our kids, going, our kids are going to be in here helping us lead worship. And they're going to have this section over here reserved for them. And we're going to talk to them about what it means to have an unshakable beginning that the world is going to try to lead and direct them and change them. But if they build their foundation on God, it will be a foundation that is unmoving for all of eternity. And we get to bless them. We get to watch people uh, be baptized and stuff. And it's going to be so good. But today, what we want to do is we want to sort of figure out how this whole thing begins. And so we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12. Um, and we're going to start in verse 18 and we're going to read the first 11 or the next 11 verses there. And we don't do this often, but since we're going to start with all of this scripture, um, I, I want to do this. I want to stand. Let's stand and we're going to honor God's word by standing here this morning just because we have an opportunity to do that in the structure of the message. And so I'm going to read these verses. You can either read along in your scripture there in your hand or follow along on the screen. Hebrews chapter 12 starting in verse 18 out of the New Living Translation, says this. It says, you have not come to a physical mountain. Now, I want everybody to say this. Say, you have not. not. One more time. You have not. not. It says, you have not come to a physical mountain. Mountain. I want you to see something in this scripture this morning because I believe that God is in process even now of shaking us, of changing us, of of realigning our priority and realigning our perspective, realigning the perspective of this church, but also his capital C church. He says, you have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. Think about that for a second. They experienced God in a way at Mount Sinai that when they heard his voice, their response was to tell God to shut up. Stop speaking. We don't want to hear you anymore. You have not come to a physical mountain. Verse 20. They staggered back under God's command at Mount Sinai. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so afraid at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. Verse 22. No, you have come to Mount Zion. Everybody say Mount Zion. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. The firstborn rights, the firstborn inheritance, those who are receiving an inheritance of joy, blessing, mercy, and grace. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is judge over all things. 
things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. Verse 24, you have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. We're at a better mountain today. We'll talk about that. Verse 25, be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one, capital O, one, the one God, Jesus, who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he makes another promise. And he says again, once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also, which means, this is so important, verse 27, which means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. So that only unshakable things will remain. Bow your heads, close your eyes. We're gonna pray. Dear God, make us unshakable. Lord, we know that there is coming a day when heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will never pass away. And if we build our lives, if we build our families, if we build our relationships, and if we build on church, our church on your unshakable word, then we know that those unshakable things will remain and that we will have an opportunity to endure forever. Lord Jesus, today make us unshakable. Let us hear your spirit calling us deeper, let us respond to the voice of the Holy Spirit that is drawing us to a place of greater understanding and greater anointing in you. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen. amen. Go ahead and be seated. Go ahead and be seated. In this passage, I love what the writer of Hebrews is doing. What he's doing is he's trying to show us a picture and he's comparing and contrasting two mountains. I don't know if you, if you caught that in, in, the, in the reading of the scripture. He talks about Mount Sinai, and then he talks about Mount Zion. And what he's doing is he's comparing two systems. He's comparing two models. He's, he's comparing two different mindsets. And, and I'm going to try to show you this a little bit here um, on our whiteboards. I hope you guys can see it. I hope the glare is not too much here. Um, but we're going to try to identify what these two systems, what these two models really look like. So over here, he has um, Mount, Mount Sinai. And over here is Mount Zion. Two different mountains, two very distinct types of mountains. And, and over here, Mount Sinai is, is a physical mountain, right? C-A-L, see if I can spell right. It's a physical mountain. It, it, it represents everything that we know, everything that we can see, everything that we can taste and touch. Really, Mount, Mount Sinai represents everything that we currently are. If you think about your life, if you think about our life and how we go through this, there is so much of it that is physical. Bills, cars, houses, careers. It's just stuff, 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 stuff. Right now, you're probably already in the process of doing your Christmas shopping. Yes, anybody? You're looking at the Black Friday um, advertisements that are already coming out. It's just all about stuff and status and, and where we rank in the pecking order. And it's all very physical. This Mount Sinai, this place is a physical place. It's where Moses was given the Ten Commandments. It's, it's where God spoke and the, and the, the mountain shook. It's, it's a very real, physical, tangible, touchable place. And over here is Mount Zion. 
And, it's, and we're going to say Mount Zion is an eternal place. It's an eternal place. Initially, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, well, we, we need to call Zion a spiritual place. You know, if, if Sinai is a physical place, then we need to call Zion a spiritual place. But it's not just a spiritual place. And here's the good news that, that, that I was always afraid of growing up in Sunday school, talking about heaven. What is, what is it going to be like in heaven? Are we just going to be like balls of energy, like glowing orbs just exist in some sort of a spiritual transcendent plane? Or, or are we going to have bodies? And, and as you grow and mature and read more scripture, you realize that, yeah, we're going to have physical bodies in heaven. That scripture tells us that we are going to be like the resurrected Christ. We're going to have physical bodies. And so Zion is not just an eternal or, or not just a spiritual mountain. It's an eternal mountain. That means it's spiritual and physical. Zion is the place where, where the veil that exists, that separates the, the physical realm from the spiritual realm is completely removed and we're able to actually step into and exist physically and spiritually in this unseen realm. Does that make sense? It's an eternal mountain. Scripture says that Sinai is a place of um, flaming fire. Sounds real good, doesn't it? What's my next one? Help me out there with the screen so I can just see it there. Darkness. Everybody say darkness. Sounds like a great place, doesn't it? What's, what's my next one here? Gloom. How many of you want to live on Sinai here, right? Gloom, and I think I have one more. Oh, a whirlwind, right? Don't you love tornadoes? A whirlwind, right? I don't know what it is about tornadoes and whirlwinds and stuff like that, but I have tornado dreams all the time. Freak me out. Freak me out. I have tornado dreams. They're in Bridgeport and they're Broken Bow. They're in Hastings. I just always am being chased by tornadoes. If, if you guys are dream interpreters, you can tell me what that means and what, what's messed up about me. I would really appreciate that. But man, these tornadoes, they keep chasing me and, and all that stuff. But, but this, is, this is how, in Scripture, in Hebrews 12, Sinai is described. A flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and a whirlwind. Scripture talks about Mount Zion and uses different terms. It's a place of, of inheritance. Inheritance. Help me out. What's my next one? Joyful gathering. Next one. Life. I think we got one more. Perfection. They're a little bit different in their design. They're a little bit different in their scope and in their scheme. Sinai is a place that is represented by Moses. Which, let's be honest, isn't a bad representation. Amen? Right? Moses isn't a bad representation, but Zion is a place that is represented by Jesus. And I want you to know that no matter how good you are. No matter how much you have figured out, we fall radically short when compared to Jesus. Amen? Sinai is a place that is bound by the law. It's a place that's marked by the law. Zion is a place that's marked by grace. These are two different mountains, two different mindsets, two different systems. At Sinai, it's marked by separation. 
I don't know if you got that part in the scripture that we read, but, but there was a line around the mountain of Sinai that scripture said that if an animal goes close to it, it must be killed. That when God was speaking, everybody was asking God to be quiet so that they didn't have to listen to him anymore. And uh, Zion is a place that's marked by invitation. Invitation. So we got separation, and over here we have invitation. I think about the Israelites' response to hearing God on Mount Sinai over here. That God spoke with such authority, such holy fire, that their response to God was to, to, to tell him to shut up. Stop talking. We can't hear it. We don't want to listen to it anymore. And as I, as I think about where we are as a culture, I feel like we are a people that are obsessed with Sinai because we are a people that are constantly asking God to be quiet. We're a people that are constantly asking God to shut up. We're a people that are constantly taking the word, rejecting it, or if not outright rejecting it, we're changing it and moving it and manipulating it to be more palatable for us today. And so maybe we don't ask God to be quiet anymore. We just ask God to filter his tone, to filter his language in a way to make us feel good and to feel happy. At Zion, God speaks with a booming thunder. But at Zion, there is an invitation. God is near. God is approachable. The Holy Spirit whispers to us as a friend would in a crowded room, leaning over and having a private conversation in a way that represents intimacy, nearness, closeness, and friendship. At Sinai, it's a place marked by the blood of Abel. I don't know if you know much about scripture, but in Genesis chapter four, um, we learn about Abel. Abel was uh, the son of Adam and Eve, one of the first men to walk the face of the earth, the son of Adam and Eve. And, and there's an account in scripture there in Genesis chapter four when um, Abel gives his offering to the Lord and, and God finds it pleasing and acceptable and Cain gives his offering to the Lord and it's second tier, it's, it's garbage and, and God rejects Cain's offering and then Cain gets really jealous of Abel and goes out and kills him and then God talks to Cain and says, hey Cain, where's your brother? Cain says, I don't know where, I'm not my brother's keeper. I'm not my brother's keeper. I'm not his boss. I don't, I don't know where he is. And God responds to his brother. He, God responds to Cain, who had just murdered Abel. He says, Abel's blood cries out to me from the ground. Abel's blood cries out for vengeance. And so in this moment, you see that God is a God of justice. And he's saying that your brother's blood cries out for vengeance, but at Zion, it's a place marked by the blood of Jesus. That's really good handwriting. I hope, I hope there's a glare there that you can't see. The blood of Christ. And I want you to think about this. At Sinai, the blood screams for vengeance. Think about this. At Zion, the blood screams forgiveness. Those are radically different mountains, radically different mountains. And here's the issue that I believe the writer of Hebrews was dealing with. But I believe it's an issue that has grown exponentially more severe in the church today and in our world, in our culture today. And what the issue is, I believe, is an issue of residence. It's, it's where you're building your mountain cabin, right? 
Because you and I, we're living on one of these two mountains. You're either living on Sinai or you're living on Zion. And, and when you look at it like this and you see the whiteboards and you see the screen up there, it doesn't seem like it's a very hard choice on which mountain you want to live in. But we are constantly fighting this tension on where to set up residence. Most of you, most believers, feel comfortable, feel good, are frequent visitors to Zion. We come spend some time at Zion. We, we get ourselves charged emotionally and spiritually and somewhat eternally from time to time, week to week. Maybe it's the church service or a Bible study or, or maybe you spend five to 10 minutes you know, throughout the week reading your scriptures and, and you, you, you are, are comfortable visiting Zion from time to time but are content to dwell on Sinai. So what we're going to do here this morning is we're going we're gonna to take a minute and do a little self-evaluation and try to determine our mountain of residence. Because oftentimes you come in and you're like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to live on Sinai, I'm going to live on Zion. And we kind of we make these arbitrary choices in our mind, but we go about living the way that we always have. And so, so we're going we're gonna to do this, we're going to try to establish a little bit of a grid to help us see better. And so here's the first question. Do you spend more time focused on the physical in your life or the eternal? Do you spend more time focusing on things that are going to fade or things that are going to last for eternity? The things this week that caused you stress, anxiety, and fear, was it physical and temporary or was it eternal? Where did you spend the majority of your emotional energy this week? This morning when you came to church, did you spend more time getting yourself ready physically Choosing your clothes, fixing your hair, griping about your hair because it's doing something weird on a Sunday morning. Has that ever happened to anybody? Why is my hair doing this? I don't understand. Changing the shirt that you ironed the night before because it just didn't stay ironed. That happens to me all the time. I don't know why or how. Iron the shirt, looking really good. Saturday night, I'm ready to go. Then I wake up in the morning, I look at that shirt and all of a sudden just wrinkled up again. I'm like, what happened? I don't know if there's like little magical wrinkled nymphs that run in and just wrinkle my shirts like I don't have time for this you know what I mean or how about this you stare you stand in your closet and you um, stare at your favorite church outfit and you're you're going back in your memory bank trying to remember the last Sunday that you wore this favorite church outfit and if appropriate amount of weeks have passed so that you can wear it again anybody Boy, I love this shirt, but man, I wore it two weeks ago. Do you think anybody will remember? Oh, I'm sure everybody's going to remember because if I walk into this, everybody in the church is going to be thinking, oh my goodness, didn't they just wear that? And you know, you, you think that, don't you? You stress about these things. These are really important things to stress about, and so we stress about them, right? As opposed to how much time did you spend getting ready spiritually for today? How much time did you spend preparing your heart and your soul to hear from the Lord? How much time did you spend preparing your spiritual ears to engage with what the Holy Spirit is going to whisper to you today? How much time have you spent preparing your heart to engage in worship, your heart to serve the king in ministry? Did you spend more time preparing your outfit to stand before friends or your heart to stand before the Lord? This may be an indicator of your mountain of residence. Maybe, and, and I know it's like super quiet in here because I know where we all live, don't we? This is where we live. This is what we prepare for. It's all based on physical. 
but this is an indicator of our mountain of residence. Another question is, is, are you marked by the law? Do you work really hard to be good so that you can make it to heaven? And I know we know the answer to that is no, because Jesus and all that stuff, but, but how are you living? How are you living? Do you throw a couple of dollars at the guy at the corner of the street just to make sure there's more good in you than bad, and, and hopefully that, that, that the, the balance of good will outweigh the balance of bad, and if you have a little bit more good than bad, then you'll be good, you'll make it, you're, you're fine. Your feeble attempts at earning your right to eternal life lead you to death, darkness, flaming fire, gloom, and divine tornadoes, right? That's not good news. You know, you think, I just try to be a decent person, and if it isn't good enough, then that's up to God, and, you know, it's all up to God. If, if, if God doesn't give me any gold stars because I, I tipped 25%, then that's up to God. You know, if he's going to send me to hell for that, then that's up to God. And, and we do everything we can to try to earn our salvation based off the law, and, and we set up camp at Mount Sinai. But God showed us on Mount Sinai how he responds to people's attempts at decency. This is what God reveals to us on Sinai. That, that it's, it's a mountain based on the law. It's a mountain based on earning your salvation. It's a mountain based on do right and be accepted. And what we realize is that we can't ever do right enough to be accepted. And so what God shows us on Mount Sinai is that his holiness burns so hot. I, I want you to see this. It's, it's important to see what this mountain looks like. That his holiness burns so hot. It is so intense that if anybody even begins to think about approaching that mountain, they're going to be instantly and completely consumed. Because there is so much sin in us that God's response to sin is judgment. And as we approach God in this way, then it's just death, gloom, flaming fire, physical darkness, and a divine whirlwind. But if we live on Zion, if your life is marked by grace... It's an attitude that says, I can never in my own efforts, no matter how much goodwill or how much karma I have built up, be able to stand in the presence of a holy God. As you, as you begin to prepare yourself to live on Zion, it, it doesn't mean that God is now soft. It doesn't mean that God is less holy. It doesn't mean that God looks at your sin and he doesn't care about it anymore. It doesn't mean that God has changed his stance on sin and those things that he once called sin, he's lightened up on. It means that by the sacrifice and the shed blood of Jesus, God or Jesus dealt with the sin issue. And so now when God looks at you, he doesn't see the sin anymore. He sees his son. And when he sees his son, it's full of embrace. Now you're able to stand in the presence of a holy God who still burns with holy fire, but you are overwhelmed with the salvation and the blood of Jesus that offers you divine grace. <clears throat> Is your road to God based on what you do or what Jesus has done? It's a big difference. If you're working to try to earn your salvation, this may be an indicator of your mountain of residence. Another question is um, your ability to hear or your willingness to listen to the voice of God is an indicator of your mountain of residence. Your ability to hear and your willingness to listen to the voice of God. Because hearing and listening are two different things. Amen? If you have kids, you know this is true. 
Like they can do the head nod and the head rattle all day long, right? I hear you, I hear you. Yeah, but are you listening to me, right? I've been helping out with uh, some of the, the basketball stuff that's going on now. And man, I, I just, there's so many times where I'm trying to talk to one of the kids, one of the players, and they're doing this. They're, you know, their head is, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and there's something about sports that turns normal kids into spazzes. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like usually they're calm, cool, and collected, but, but in, the, in the heat of like the sports and, and you know, the emotions and the sweat and all that stuff, you're like, okay, this is what I need you to do. I need you to go down there and I need you to set, stand on the block and set a pick. And their just head is nodding. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Okay, go out and do it. And then they're out there and they're not doing a thing that I just told them to do. And then I ask them back, are you hearing me? Yeah, I hear you. What did I tell you to do? Go set a pick. Okay, go out and do it. And then they're just spazzing out. There's a difference between hearing and listening, right? Yes, I hear you, but are you going to listen and do? Think about how God speaks to us all the time. And, and man, I just wonder how frustrated God gets with me. How many times he calls me over to the divine bench over there and says, Chris, come here, I want to talk to you for a second. Yeah, God, I got it, I got it. I need you to operate in forgiveness. Okay, God, I'm gonna do it. Okay, go do it. Man, that guy's a jerk. I hate what he's done to me. Chris, come over here. Okay, okay. What did I tell you about forgiveness? Yeah, I know, I know. Forgive, forgive. Go do it. Man, I hope that guy gets what does, you know? There's a major difference between hearing and listening. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Think about this. On Sinai, they heard the voice of the Lord, didn't they? And man, how good is God that he speaks to us, right? How good is God that he declares his holiness? And I would even submit that it's, it's far better for us to hear the voice of the Lord when he's speaking judgment than to not hear the voice of the Lord at all. Because at least we're understanding and we're getting to know him and his precepts and his personality and his heart. So over here, they heard the voice of the Lord. And when they heard it, they trembled with fear and they closed their ears and they begged God to stop speaking to them. And when God decided to, okay, I won't speak directly to you. I will speak through my servant Moses. And God spoke to Moses and it was freaking Moses out still. But God was speaking to Moses and Moses was listening and then Moses would go tell the people what he heard God say. When the people heard Moses speaking, they refused to listen, didn't they? And almost immediately when Moses became the messenger for God and Moses began to speak for God, the people rejected Moses. They were angry with him. They were mad at Moses for bringing them into the desert. And they just didn't listen. And just within months of seeing God's miraculous powerful hand move in Egypt, they were building golden altars, golden cows, and worshiping and dancing naked around golden cows and saying, this is our God, this is who we're going to serve. What kind of idiots are these people, right? Why would you, what, what are you doing? Why are you worshiping this golden cow when God delivered you out of the hands of Egypt? And, and it's because they keep going back to Sinai. They keep going back to Sinai, that's their place. How much time do you spend listening to or listening for the voice of the Lord? The question is, do you actively quiet your heart and soul when you approach scripture 
and say, speak, Lord, I'm listening. When you listen to podcast preaching or teaching, do you listen to be entertained? Do you shut it off if he's not making you laugh or, or telling you some story that you've never heard before, may, making you feel good or having your opinions validated and your compromises justified? Or do you approach it like David in Psalms 139 that says, point out anything in me that offends you? When's the last time you went to God and said, God, I'm gonna quiet my heart. Holy Spirit, I want you to speak to me. I want you to point out anything in me that offends you. You know, we often say, and I have these conversations, and I've said this many times, that I just wish God would make his will clear. I wish he would shout it from the mountaintops. I wish he would write it in the sky so that I know what am I supposed to do. Am I supposed to take this job or this job? Am I supposed to marry this girl or this girl? What am I supposed, I just wish God would make it clear. I wish he would shout it from the rooftops. I wish I would hear this loud, booming voice so that I would know beyond a shadow of a doubt what the will of God for my life is. And if that's our desire, it seems that that feels more like Sinai, doesn't it? Because at Sinai, God had to shout. At Zion, there's intimacy and God begins to whisper to our spirits. And we long to hear God's booming voice at Sinai, but we reject the intimate, personal whispers of the Holy Spirit on Zion. On Zion, there's nearness, intimacy, and joyful celebration. At Zion, he calls you by name. He knows your name. He whispers your name. At Zion, he calls you near. Another indicator is what are you anticipating? What are you anticipating? That's an indicator of the mountain of residence. Do you wake up every morning anticipating promise? Or do you wake up every morning anticipating pain? Do you wake up every morning saying, another day, another opportunity for somebody to hurt me, for somebody to offend me, for somebody to abuse me, for somebody to take advantage of me, overlook me, or belittle me? Here comes another storm. Here comes another trial. If I didn't have any bad luck, I wouldn't have any luck at all. Here comes another devil. Here comes another demon. This is me. Woe is me. Woe is me. And I wouldn't even say that you have an attitude problem. I, I would say that you have an anticipatory problem. You're just anticipating bad things and you're forgetting who you've been made to be. Years ago, I got a call from uh, somebody in town. And I knew this lady. I knew her family. And uh, she calls me up here at the church. This was years and years ago. I, I was a youth pastor at the time. And uh, she said, Pastor Chris, my son is dead. And I mean, I'm like, oh, no. I'm so sorry to hear that. What happened? And she said, I don't know. He's dead. There's blood everywhere. I'm like freaking out, right? How would you respond to that? Have you called the police? I mean, what are the police saying? Where are you? I said, I said have you called the police? She said, no. I said, where are you? She said, I'm at home. I said, is your son there with you? No, he's not. I said, where is he? She said, I don't know where he is. I said, is he dead? She said, yes, he's dead. How do you know? I can see him. I'm super confused at this point. Super confused. How do you know he's dead? There's blood everywhere. Can you check his pulse? She said, I'm not with him. Can you see him? Yes. And I'm super confused. And so I say this. And in all of my wisdom, and all my youth pastor wisdom, I said, did you do something to him? Right? <laughs> she said, no. And then hung up on me. 
And I'm like, I, I'm, you know, waiting for a call from a detective and, and waiting for my time on my 48-hour murder mysteries episode, you know. I'm like, what in the world's going on, you know? And so I'm kind of freaking out. I'm trying to call her back. I'm trying to get a hold of his son. Her son was at work. Her son was at work. But she was somebody who every morning woke up anticipating terrible things. Anticipating terrible things. And every morning she'd wake up and she'd listen to the voice of the enemy telling her that her life was a life of defeat. Her life was a life of condemnation. Her life was a life of pain. And that only bad things will ever happen to her. And so she began to listen to this so long that she was convinced this one morning that her, her son had died. She lived a life of, of despair. And so the question is, when you face tomorrow, when you think about tomorrow, do you face it with dread and despair? Or do you face it with excited anticipation because you are among the assembly of the firstborn? I want you to think about this. At Zion, there is the assembly of the firstborn. What that means in, in ancient Israel is that the firstborn received the lion's share of the inheritance. The firstborn received more than everybody else. They got the better portion. They got the bigger portion. They got the business. And everybody else just got a cut. You know what I mean? So what God says is at Zion, you are among the assembly of the firstborn, which means when you are on Zion, you are guaranteed a great inheritance. Not just measly little cuts. You are guaranteed a great inheritance. At Zion, you are guaranteed an inheritance and a promise that no one can steal, an inheritance of salvation, an inheritance of grace, of purpose, of victory, and intimacy with God. On Zion, you get a firstborn blessing. You get a firstborn future. On Zion, you will live with firstborn rights. And what that meant in ancient Israel, that the firstborn knew the firstborn, especially the firstborn of a wealthy father, knew that what is coming in the future is better than where I'm living today. The inheritance that I'm walking into, the lifestyle that I'm walking into, the influence that I'm walking into tomorrow is better than what I'm living today. The firstborn blessing, the firstborn inheritance lives with anticipation for the future saying, because my father is so good and my father has worked so hard and because my father is so generous, what I get to experience tomorrow is going to be better than what I experience today. And as believers who take up residence on Zion, every single one of us get to live with a firstborn future. A firstborn future. So when you think about what tomorrow holds, do you see pain or promise? If you see pain, it's a good, it's a good indicator that you're living on Sinai. If you see promise, then it's a good indicator that you've taken up residence on Zion and you know that God has you covered and that tomorrow is going to be better than today and that Greater things are yet to come, and the best is yet to come, and all those things that we, we say over and over again but turn into like flippant little phrases, but it's so true when we take up residence on Zion. You see, God wants us to live on Zion, but the enemy keeps taking us back to Sinai, and he convinces us that it's a lot nicer there than it used to be. The enemy convinces us that he's fixed up Sinai. It's more comfortable. 
He's rearranged the furniture. He's added some much-needed amenities. Come live on Sinai. Come take up residence there. It's, it's all about physical because, because if you are blessed and you have a lot of money and you have a lot of influence and, and, and you have a great career and a great family and a great car and a great vacation home and a great boat and, and all of these good things can happen and it's really good on Sinai. Take up residence there. Um, live here. Come live on Sinai. So that's exactly what we do. We learn to thrive on Sinai. We're just vaguely familiar with Zion. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26 again. It says, but now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Only unshakable things will remain. And it seems as though there was a shaking on Sinai 2,000 years ago. And 2,000 years ago, there was this, this shaking when, when, Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross, all of this stuff began to shake. Think about this. When Jesus died on the cross, separation was eliminated, right? When Jesus died on the cross, he, he did something in the physical realm that affected forever the eternal, didn't he? It, when Jesus died on the cross, it eliminated the fire, it eliminated the darkness. It, it now removed Moses as the key mouthpiece for, for salvation. It eliminated gloom and the whirlwind and the blood of Abel was now basically thrown to the wayside and the blood of Christ was celebrated. The law was forever removed because now we get to stand on grace. And 2,000 years ago, there was this shaking on the cross. And even scripture tells us that there was an earthquake after Jesus died. Do you remember that? That there was an earthquake. The hill on which Jesus died began to shake. And scripture says there was people who were dead that were raised back to life. Jesus was the only one who defeated death on that day. I mean, Jesus was the one who defeated death, but that defeat was so complete and so powerful that there were others who were died that came back to life in that moment, right? And so there was this, this shaking of Sinai 2,000 years ago. And what we've been doing ever since is doing our very best to repair it. We've been doing our very best to repair Sinai because this is what we're most comfortable with because we understand the physical because something in our heart keeps taking us back to the law. Because something inside of us cries out for vengeance again and we understand the blood of Abel. It makes more sense to us. And so for 2,000 years, we've been doing our best to repair Sinai. But I, what God is saying, and I believe prophetically what he's saying to this church and I believe this nation, is that there's another shaking coming. There's another shaking coming. And listen, I don't want to over-politicize things or become a prisoner of the moment, but I wonder if you can't feel the shaking beginning to take place just in your own spirit, in your own heart. It feels different, doesn't it? Doesn't life feel different today? Doesn't it feel like things are moving in a way that they haven't in a long time where fears are growing and tensions are growing and storm clouds are growing and the political, spiritual, social, and racial climate is beginning to bend to the point that you feel like there's going to be a break somewhere? Something's going to snap. Things are going to beginning to shake and, and rumble. And, and you think, well, then, Pastor, what are we supposed to do? What do we do? We learn to take up residence on Zion. That's what we do. 
when fears come and things start to shake, we can look at those fears and say, you can bring it on. You can come all day long. I'm not gonna be afraid anymore because I don't live on this mountain anymore. And just like we talked about last week in our message, spooked, we don't have to live afraid. We don't have to be afraid because of who Jesus is and what he's done and the fact that he has established an unshakable mountain for us to exist on. And when everything begins to change and everything begins to shake and things are darkness and gloom and every single article that we read in the news or we see on the news is about death and destruction and the next tragedy, we can have hope because we build our residence on Zion and it's those things that are unshakable in our lives that we can depend on. When darkness begins to invade your life, you don't have to worry about that anymore because you don't live on that mountain anymore. You've taken up residence on Zion. When you get the bad diagnosis that shakes your world, you don't have to fall because you don't live on that mountain anymore. Even in the face of death, you can stand unmoved because you don't live on that mountain anymore. It amazes me, and you've seen this too, over the past couple of months to, to see how some of these churches that have experienced massive tragedy have responded with such grace, right? It's amazing when they interview the pastors and the family members who, who are burying 20 some people and, and having all of those funerals, dealing with all of that pain and they're responding with, they're just dripping with the love of God. And, and you think, how is that possible? I could never respond that way. I just, I just don't see how that's even humanly possible to be able to respond like that. It's because they've taken up residence on Zion. And that even when tragedy sweeps through, they are living unshakable. That when chaos comes and tragedy comes, unshakable things still remain. They still have an inheritance. Death has still been defeated for them. They still trust in the blood of Jesus Christ and they still live by grace. I've been praying for this church this week and I've not been praying for bad things to happen or for tragedy to come our way, but I've been praying that God would shake us. Stand your feet all across this place. I've been praying that God would shake us again that God would shake us to our core, that God would shake our faith, that God would shake what we think we know about him, that God would shake our traditions, that God would shake our rituals, that God would shake our weak attempts to earn his favor. And it's my prayer over these last couple of weeks that God would shake us in a way that Sinai would be uninhabitable for us. This is no place for the believer to dwell. No place for the believer to live. God, make us unshakable. Make us unshakable. In order to be unshakable, church, there must be a divine shaking. And so it's been my prayer that God would shake us again. That God would shake us. Shake us in a way that only what is holy would remain. Shake us in a way that only what is Zion would remain. Shake us in a way that only what is of the kingdom of God would remain. Shake us so that only what is unshakable would remain. I wonder what it would be like 
to have nothing but Jesus. And we say, well, with Jesus is enough, Jesus is enough. But very few of us have ever been in a situation where we experience it. We don't pray for tragedy, but we pray for perspective. We pray that God would shake us so that we would be an unshakable people. We would be an unshakable church. That we would have an unshakable faith. That we would depend on an unshakable future. And so we pray, God, shake us. God, shake us. Bow your heads, close your eyes all across this place. I know this is a different type of message and it feels a little bit deeper than what we normally go. But I wonder if there's anybody here who would have the courage to, to pray this very dangerous prayer. God, shake me. Shake me. Shake me in a way that everything that is temporary would be removed. Shake me in a way that, that Sinai would be uninhabitable. Shake me in a way that I would know you, trust you, depend on you, place everything in, in, in all of my trust in you. You may be here today and you may be thinking, man, I wanna live on Zion, but I don't know how to get there. I wanna live unshakable, but I don't know if I can. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to connect with us or if you want more information about North Shore Church, please visit mynsag.com.